Welcome to Thought Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Thought Hack. Really quick, uh, shout out to our sponsors and partners over at uh, Catalyst Case. Um, this week we have someone who, I mean, if you watch my other podcast, you might be familiar with um, my guy uh, Darnell. I don't know if like no one would know. I'm like, it would be creepy if people knew. Oh, that's Darnell Teller. But yeah, yeah. Darnell Teller. The only reason some people know my last name is because of my mother when she joins the live chat sometimes. With her she, full name. She'd be in a live chat? All the time. I didn't know it was your mom. Yeah. She's, she's your biggest fan, right? It's wild. I didn't know she was your mom until I met her. Yeah. She, she spoken to me and Pop one day. He was like, oh, Reg is so nice. Why are you guys joking him so much? <laughs> like a separate conversation with us. Oh, that's <laughs> kind of funny. That's cool. Um. So you want me? Int- I'll intro myself, and I'll. I just you. introduced you. That's that wasn't an intro. I'll take that. I'll look at mm. that. I mean, like, I don't know what is cool to run down because I mean, you you do have a pretty cool job, but I don't know if you wanted to like elaborate on what your job is outside of the podcast. I think people feel like we just live on YouTube. Ah, uh, yeah, they do kind of feel like we live on YouTube. I'll kind of summarize my profession, mm-hmm. I guess. Um. I'd say I classify myself as a creator, which is kind of like super general, which a lot of people mm-hmm. kind of just kind of toss out there. Um, but I started out uh, TV production. Mm-hmm. Started out probably TV and movies. My first, uh, I want to say I was 18, 19 years old, maybe. Mm-hmm. First film I ever worked on was a biopic for Wendy Williams. I was, was like on like Lifetime or something. Never came yeah. out. Never came out. What's crazy is like I'm just now realizing we spend like a lot of time together, and I don't really know a lot about you. I mean, I, I try to be a man of mystery. <laughs> but <laughs> so weird. <laughs> Such a weird thing to say to somebody. Um, um. All right. So the Wendy Williams biopic. Yeah, it never came out. Never came out. 18, 19 years old. Uh, this is way back when. Who's producing it? It wasn't even like a big studio. I know there was mm-hmm. like a few NBA players that were like funding it and everything like that. Okay. Uh, but then apparently when they saw the, I'm probably, who cares now? Mm-hmm. Uh, when they saw That's the. so random. Yeah. When they saw the actual cut of the film, mm-hmm. they were like, oh no, we're not a pay for <laughs> We can't pay for this. This is so bad. It's like Wendy Williams biopic produced by NBA players? It, I, I don't know if they, I know they, they were some people that were like financing it. Yeah. I'm not sure the exact company I was okay. uh, producing anymore. But it's funny because this is back when she was on the radio. She was on WBLS okay. at the time. And Charlemagne was a co-host. Mm-hmm. And uh, they kind of said, hey, we're looking for production assistance uh, for this film. You know? Mm-hmm. And I used to like actually listen to the radio. Mm-hmm. I, I I always loved like radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wendy Williams, Star McWild. It's crazy. Uh, Miss Jones did um, Drink Champs, and I wanted to watch it the other day. I just never got a chance. I, I got to check it out. I remember yeah. when she was on there with Ed Lover and yeah. Doctor, the other Dr. Dre. I'm like really yeah. dating myself. Um, yeah, so I just called up to the radio station, and they were like, yeah, sure, show up tomorrow. Gave me a location. Mm-hmm. Everything showed up. Uh, probably about 
month and a half, two months of filming. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of got to got through a little bit of everything on that set because we're so small. Like got to learn some of the grip and lighting and mm-hmm. other stuff like that. Um, and funny, the woman that was playing Wendy Williams yeah. was Robin Givens. What? Mad random, yeah. Uh, but even then, with my like super lack of knowledge and like first time being mm-hmm. on set and everything, I kind of knew that that film wasn't gonna like be good. Mm-hmm. Just because like there's like smaller things that they weren't like that I kind of even picked up just from being in school. Like mm-hmm. I don't know if that's gonna work. How do you think it's gonna work? Like there was a scene where they tried to have uh minivan looks like a Mercedes. Right? They have to go just shoot the headlights. And I was like, I don't think that's gonna work, you know? Um shoot the headlights. Yeah, and they had like a kid who was like still in college who like never acted anything before trying to play like Diddy and it was just it was all a, a mess. Yeah. Kind of thing. But I, I what I did learn is the pace of mm. working on a film and like, you know, mm. stuff like that. Uh, then from there, once I knew that's how it works, like you have to be in the industry, you know what I mean? To kind of get other jobs and like, it's really tough to break in mm-hmm. at times because it's all people who know each other. Yeah. Um, and I just happened to be lucky enough that I got, got in there with a phone call and then the, uh, assistant director who's always the, a good person to know. Everybody tries to know like the director and stuff like that. The AD is the one who really kind of. Yeah. Reeks have the AD always seems like a horrible person because they have to like boss everybody around and give orders for the yeah, director. But I figure they have to be bad cop for the yeah right. Um, and it's funny I always thought that the AD hated me mm-hmm. the whole time, and then she told me like at the rap party everywhere like towards the end she was like, oh no like I just have to be that way. She mm-hmm. goes I actually liked you a lot. Mm-hmm. She said because you were always present but you were never in the way. Mm-hmm. And that I like it took me a while to, like process that and I was like. I get it, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, so then she had, like, a few other, like, commercials and, like, uh, smaller films and stuff like that. She would always call me to kind of, like, yo, can you PA and stuff like this? And I'm still juggling this while being in college. Like, mm-hmm. I'm a full-time college student. Mm-hmm. So I'd go to class all day and then at night go work overnight mm-hmm. on the film set, go back to school, kind of that kind of thing. Uh, and then from just bouncing around like that, I start to end up on different uh, – Film set to meet different people and stuff like that. So you were networking and then. Yeah. But I, I knew uh, from working on like bigger sets, I ended up working on uh, fighting with Channing Tatum and Terrence Howard. It's like that the was such version a of bad Club. movie. Yeah. I remember seeing it. By Terrence no, Howard had this weird accent. Yeah. Yeah. By no means any of the stuff I worked on was like spectacular. Oh no. <laughs> so, no, I mean it, it was still Channing Tatum and like I mean Channing Tatum wasn't as like I, I guess as big a star as he is now, but Right, he was early on. Right, this was early Channing Tatum. He was early on that. And I actually I ended up with that job uh just being lucky and being a New Yorker mm-hmm. and my mother was walking down the street and saw Terrence Howard. Mm-hmm. And he was like, Oh, Terrence Howard asking for autographs. And he tells me, I'm like, oh, yeah. And my mother's like, no, I don't want an autograph. She's like, my son, mm-hmm. as a production assistant, he's always looking for, like, jobs or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she told, he told my mom, he's like, oh, yeah, no problem. Just walk down and knock on that trailer, mm-hmm. ask for so-and-so, mm-hmm. and tell them I sent you and that your son wants mm-hmm. a PA gig. So my mother went and did it. My mother calls me like, hey, you're about to get a call. 
offering this guy for this. Oh job. yeah, your mom's MVP though. That's fine. <laughs> and um, not love my mother to death, but she would never in a million years be like, oh yeah, hire my son. Like, oh, this is only one of the mm-hmm. jobs my mother kind of pulled that off for me. Mm-hmm. And by the time I got the phone, I was getting a phone call. Mm-hmm. This guy called. He was like, yeah, what's up? You available tonight? This mm-hmm. and that. Uh, so I showed up that night, filled out whatever paperwork mm-hmm. you got to fill out. Started fire PA on that set. Uh, but that was one of the bigger films, and I kind of noticed there that I didn't like working on large films. Why? Um, because especially as a production assistant, everything's mm-hmm. union, mm-hmm. right? So you can't learn or like touch the lights at all because it's union. You get hurt. It's a problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you you like, kind of have to stay in a specific lane, right? And as a production assistant, it's like. Carry that from there to there. Make sure nobody crosses the set. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Stand there, watch. It's pretty boring. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of work. And I, I just felt like I wasn't gonna learn enough. You know what I mean? And I always so it's like a typecast thing where it, like it's not like they're casting you for the film, but once you fall into being a PA, like you're kind of stuck there unless something dra- dramatic happens. Kind of like no. I remember one of the guys uh, who was like the head PA. Mm-hmm was his name. And they were like a bunch of other PAs. And I was one of the younger people. And he was 40s, mid 40s. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I would see that a lot. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, that's not what I want to be or what I want to do. You know? Mm-hmm. And I realized that. Is it a decent living? Probably not. Oh, you know what right. I mean? It depends. On, like, if that's relative for the yeah. person. But it wasn't the living that I, yeah, I guess definitely you. wanted for myself. And uh, I realized, I was like, oh, Climbing the ranks from PA, like it's not what it seems. There's you know? no upward mobility. I'm like, like, how do you transition from heads PA to like whatever the fuck? Right. And then something else that I noticed is when I would be on set and I would talk to like the other PAs here and there, and everything. And I always felt kind of like an outsider on that, where they were like, "Oh no, well, my uncle's the executive producer. Like my mm-hmm. brother is this, or you know what I mean? My dad is that." And I was just like, "Oh, I'm really because you know what I mean? I'm on the mm-hmm. outside here." Yeah. Um. So I realized that journey would be longer and like more challenging. I don't know if it was going to be re- as rewarding as I thought it would be because I didn't really enjoy the time. Yeah. On set. And one of the last times I was like an on set PA, it was this cooking channel. I can't remember what channel it was on, but it was like one of the cooking competitions. Food Network kind of or. or- it was one of them, right? Yeah. And it was like December in New York, dumb cold, or really cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a night shoot. So start at midnight, we're supposed to end at 12 the next day. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, I'll go and I'm doing this uh, shoot. And then there's this thing called fire watching when you're a PA. Mm-hmm. Fire watching is basically you just watch the camera gear and equipment. Make sure nothing happens to it. Mm-hmm. So to fire watch, you had to sit outside. Mm-hmm. So we were taking shifts as PAs to like, all right, you sit outside for 30 minutes or you sit outside for an hour. But as I'm inside, I know how this stuff goes. And I see the AD starting to flip out. This arguments about what should be. And I'm like, oh, no, this is going to roll downhill. They're going to start like taking out on the PA soon. So I say, I'll fire watch. And I'm outside fire watching. And then mm-hmm. somebody else will come up and I don't worry. I'm good. I'll stay enough time. So I was like, I'm just going to sit here. And t- mm-hmm. I probably went out there to fire watch at like 
5, 6 a.m., mm-hmm. maybe even 4. Mm-hmm. And I, I fire watch so long that I saw kids go to school and come back because obviously mm-hmm. there was trouble on set. So mm-hmm. the shoot went way longer. Mm-hmm. And I just remember hating. I was like, why am I – like I, this is absolutely the most like wasteful use of my time yeah. I can think of. And I and I made a point um, in my mind to not be like a set pay. Like I want to do like mm. smaller sets where I like learn stuff and kind of get around. Um, and then I ended up working for what's that? I don't know if this was before or after. I'm getting old, so my timelines be kind of messed up. Mm-hmm. But I also spent some time at Vlad TV mm-hmm. for a bit. Worked at Vlad TV maybe a year, year and a half. Yeah, you've mentioned that a couple of times. I've never said that, yeah. like, yeah, on air, yeah. whatever. But I, I worked with on Vlad TV. Me and one of my, me one of my really, really good close friends there. Yeah. Uh, is that like a super right. corporate type of environment, or is just no, kind of, yeah, not at all. Um, at the time, it was based out of Universal Music Building. Okay, and that was one of the first times I saw like corporate offices with me. Just like, where would you want? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a very lackadaisical kind of thing. And I kind of even saw people like showing up when they want and everything like that. Because mm-hmm. everything is kind of, as much as it's driven by connections, mm-hmm. I realized it was a lot of it was like results driven. It doesn't yeah. matter. You can show up at one o'clock if you bring mm-hmm. Drake in the building. You know what I mean? If yeah. you, you know what I mean? If you're the guy who, oh, I found Drake or like I found you yeah. do what you want kind of thing. So I realized how it's tied to kind of like, Results mm. there, but I never really worked directly with the label. I was always just like an offshoot of label, so I didn't have mm. to follow any of the rules. I just had. So he's like, it, like they're like tied to the label somehow, or no? He okay. just happened to have a connection there, and they're like, oh yeah, we have some free space here. So okay. it was a that's, super that's small, fire. Yeah, at the time, this like Vlad TV might have been operating for six months, but like location, I would imagine them build it being in that building. I remember when we went to. Um, we were at, this was when I was shooting another podcast we were producing, um, also sponsored by Catalyst Case. <laughs> um, we were in the, we were at uh, NBA All-Star and we were in the same building as the Retired Players Association. Yep. So just by virtue of being there, we could just grab a player and be like, yo, like jump on set really quick because yeah. like you're, you're there. When we grabbed like Sam Perkins... Mm-hmm. Like he was, I was literally on the elevator with him and he was about to go to his room to eat. And I was like, yo, but come, come do the podcast. And he was like, nah, I got to eat and I got to use the bathroom. I was like, we got a bathroom. Like I was harassing him low key. <laughs> I was like, yo, we got a bathroom. Yeah. And then ironically, when he got to the bathroom, it was a bunch of the guys. Someone had tried to flush a cupcake down the toilet. So the bathroom didn't even work. I don't know why anyone would do that. And it was also a question he had, yeah. which is a very reasonable question. And he was like, but why would you guys do that? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know why anyone would do that. So he didn't get to use the bathroom. But we got a pretty good story out of it. But my bad. Go ahead. Nah. Back with the Vlad thing. It's all good. Um, And then uh, being there, I kind of, at the time, because I, I haven't kept up with Vlad TV. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure they probably scaled I would uh, imagine much like at that. this point. But at the time, I would I realized I was probably one of the most knowledgeable people as far as it came to like video production. Mm-hmm. So it came to like setting up cameras, editing, you know what I mean? Like all kind of stuff. Like I got it was kind of like a playground. Mm-hmm. I kind of got to experiment and 
learned how to do a bunch of different things. Ran into a bunch of cool people, like met Freddie Gibbs super early mm-hmm. in his career. Nipsey Hussle. Like I mm-hmm. met a bunch of kind of artists and stuff like that. But after a while, that kind of ran its course and I realized I needed to mm-hmm. be learn more. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If you're the smartest person in the room with the most skillful, find a different room kind yeah. of thing. Um, and then I went on, I worked at Hornsby Millionaire for a season. Really? Yeah. Remember That's random. Know? Fun fact about me, they let you do the questions beforehand, kind of. Like, they have to test out all the buttons, make sure they work. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, I was the test contestant or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm there and I'm answering the questions. Got all the way to the million dollar question. Really? And I But knew, they'd probably not let you answer. And they compete. Like, no. Yeah, I couldn't compete for like six years or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Contract said. And I knew the answer. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited. Like, I'm going to actually win a million. And he was like, no, no, no. Like, let's say the answer was like C. Mm-hmm. He was like, no, no, no. Got to say B. I was like, but he was like, you got to try out the wrong answer. But it's just like, okay. And I was like, yeah. So that, that's one of my small, like, accomplishments that nobody knows about. Mm-hmm. That, I almost that you hypothetically won a million dollars. Hypothetically a million dollars. Fire. Yeah. Small things. Mm-hmm. Um, And then I ended up at Showtime. Mm-hmm. Talk about Showtime for a little bit. Um, I got there maybe a year or two before Floyd signed at Showtime. Mm-hmm. Ended up at Showtime. My mother, once again, yeah. on the train, a woman needed a tissue. My mother gives the woman tissue. My mother being nosy, eavesdrops on this woman's conversation. Finds out the woman works at Showtime. It's like, hey, so, um, not to be nosy, but I hear you work at Showtime. It's that. My son's been trying to find a job at a network. This and that. She was mm-hmm. like, oh, give him my car. Tell him call me mm-hmm. in a week or whatever it was. Or email me in a week. Mm-hmm. So, email me in a week. And she was like, oh, email me again in three weeks. Mm-hmm. Did it. And that time she was like, a month. Mm-hmm. Just kept doing it. And that mm-hmm. time she said something crazy, like six months. Mm-hmm. Something crazy like that. I was like, all right. And at this time, I'm still working. I like was peeing on like a different talk show or whatever. Mm-hmm. And... I remember six months. Send her email. She Consistency. Me. Yeah. I mean, there's a lesson somewhere in that. There is. She calls me. She's like, oh, hey, uh, what's your schedule next week? Whatever it is. And that's what I said. They set up an interview with me. I go and I do this interview. And it, was, it was so random. I did the interview the day after a wedding. Like, I was in a wedding. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, a wedding is a wedding. Like, you end up drinking and partying and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And I traveled from like way at Long Island all the way to this job interview mm-hmm. in the city in Manhattan. Did the job interview. Um, and like, yeah, you'll hear from us in the next week or so. I'm like, all right. So then it gets to like toward the end of the week. I haven't had it like hurt anything. And I get a call. I'm like, yeah, you got the job. Literally one interview. I'm yeah. like, all right, cool. So then, um, funny that the, the the talk show that I was PAing at got really mad at me. The executive producer, executive producer, was like, "Oh, you just can't leave like that." And I was like, "What do you mean? Like, mm-hmm. I have another job that's gonna like a longer contract, you know?" And it paid me substantially more. It paid me yeah. more. And she's like, "Oh no, it doesn't work that way. You're never gonna make it anywhere in this business and everything like that." Like, and I just remember laughing at her. And she's like, "Didn't we sign you to a contract?" And I was like, "No, you didn't sign a production assistance contract. You signed everybody else to contracts." Yeah. Um. So then, like, I mean, but I would figure a production assistant is like, 
I would figure it's just like super easily replaceable. Like, why would they make yeah. such a big deal about it? It is, but it's hard to, I think. To find a good one. Exactly. I think yeah. she was more mad that I was a good production assistant leaving mm. rather than I was just like production assistant leaving. Mm. So, uh, first day on the job, I'm walk, getting ready to walk to Showtime and I call the woman who got me the interviewer. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yo, like, you want to like meet outside first, something like that, just so I don't walk upstairs mm-hmm. and walk past you. And everybody's like, you know? Mm-hmm. She's like, oh no, I told them I didn't know you. She's mm-hmm. like, you got that job on your own. Mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, cool. Uh, started at Showtime. And I'd say I learned a lot, like a, mm-hmm. a lot, a lot. Like, it's kind mm-hmm. of the foundation for like a lot of shit that mm-hmm. I can curse on you. Yeah. All right. <laughs> a lot I curse of, like mad times. All right. For a lot of my skill set and stuff that I know. Like I really kind of mm-hmm. flourished there, but at first it was not like that at all. It was kind of just like menial stuff, like media managing and kind of mm-hmm. um, making sure equipment was in order and stuff like that. But making sure the equipment's in order, you kind of learn the equipment, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I had this producer and he would always give me this most technical name for something. And mm-hmm. he wouldn't tell me what it was. Mm-hmm. So I'd go into like the equipment room and I'm like, Google the name and I'm looking to try to, mm-hmm. but through doing that, I learned about the equipment. So at first mm-hmm. I thought he was just being like, and don't get me wrong, he was an asshole. Yeah. But I was like, oh, I learned something here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I Most had, people probably would have went into that situation and be like, why the fuck didn't he just tell me like the, right? just say microphone, you know what I mean? Type of thing. Yeah. But, but my ego wouldn't let me. Yeah. Um, kind of let him have the one up on me that yeah. he knew and have to ask him. Then he kind of like, oh, yeah. well, you don't so know. he could sun you and everything. Right, yeah, I got you. So and I, he knew that I didn't know it, mm-hmm. but I wasn't gonna let him know. I, I'll figure it out. Like mm-hmm. you'll be my last resort before I come back to you. Uh, I kind of figured that out. And as a network production assistant now, mm-hmm. it's, it was completely different because you're not on set as much and everything like that. Like there was travel for like shoots and everything like that. But the last person they want to take is the PA. Mm-hmm. And there was an associate producer. Horrible. Uh, he, he was really bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other producers knew he was bad. Everybody was really bad. Mm-hmm. But as a production assistant, I kind of knew the schedule of when things come out. And it was the same thing every month or every... I worked in the sports department. So every fight, whatever, mm-hmm. every boxing match or every event, it's the same kind of rollout. Like they... Uh, the PR department's going to request the same thing. Marketing department's going to request the same thing. So you can kind of predict what's going to mm-hmm. happen. And I noticed this guy was always laughing, like, oh, God, we got to do that? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And he was always like subpar work kind of thing. And I think the VP and creative director kind of had an affinity for him. Mm-hmm. So they kind of like let him get away with things. There. So me knowing that it would be last minute and he wouldn't have something prepared. I just did it already. Okay. So it was like a, a, a sizzle reel of like highlights of a mm-hmm. fight or whatever. So I said, it, it was actually Luke Rockhold. I remember. Yeah. Watch MMA. MMA, yeah. I know Luke, Luke Rockhold. Rockhold. This is back on Strike Force. Yeah. Uh, was on Showtime. I did, I thought you were like, you weren't as MMA. I'm not. Oh, okay. I'm not. It's just that I worked. Yeah. And it was just one of the things that we had. So I watched it mm-hmm. when it was part of mm-hmm. my job. But after that, mm-hmm. I kind of uh, let it go. So. Uh, I knew it was gonna. Ha- I knew they were gonna request a sizzle reel, so I just made mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. and like killed it. Used different music, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Actually, like put some 
time and effort into it. And I just mm-hmm. didn't like throw things together. So now it's like, oh yeah, we need this um, sizzle rail or whatever. And he's like, oh, and I'm like, oh no, it's not like I did one. If you guys want to see it, and then we'll produce it by Sunday. Like, oh, like that's really yeah good, you know. And the same. Producer, this was in like in a meeting. So it was. It wasn't like a a department wide meeting. It was maybe me, the associate producer, creative director, and like two other producers. So, there. but enough people in there to kind of like right. And the same producer that was always like the asshole to me and like yeah. these super technical names, he kind of saw it and he like. He laughed and he was like, you know, like, oh, it's pretty good. You know, and he would always kind of be like real nonchalant about it. Mm-hmm. So then that weekend he calls me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, what the fuck is he going to call me about now? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, he's, mm-hmm. so he calls me. He goes, that was really good what you did. He said, keep doing stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, all right. You know? So then I was always kind of a step ahead. And eventually this guy was lazy. And he didn't want to do the work. Mm-hmm. So I took over doing the sizzles. Like that was mm-hmm. my my thing. Um, and I kind of just anywhere I can kind of get get in as far as like doing some work, or like showing my skill, yeah. I would do. And all of this stuff was like above your pay grade at the time. Definitely above my pay grade. But you took the initiative and Yes. That's dope. And and at the time, I honestly not not everybody f- would because um, I was having a conversation with someone and I totally stole this quote, but I really like it. Like, not every opportunity has a paycheck attached yeah. to it. Not everybody would, like, jump on the, the opportunity. And at the at the time, um, I wasn't thinking about the money mm. at all. I, I really just wanted to test Show myself, people. see if I could yeah. actually create. So none of it stuff. was about showing them that you were better than this guy. Oh, yeah. That was yeah. definitely part of it. I but- knew it was. But I also wanted to show myself yeah. that I was better than, than him, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's funny because that you talk about money. Because early, early uh, in my career, right when I got out of college, mm-hmm. um, I had the opportunity to work for uh, Tiffany's. Mm-hmm. It was like in this, I guess they're... Their diamond testing place, whatever it's called, right? Yeah. And it's a super easy job. It's basically just managing uh, the diamond testers, make sure that everything's accounted for. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. And and it was super easy. Like I could have done the job. I went and did the interview before I even got home. They called me, told me mm, you got, got the, the job. job. And I remember calling my mother because my mother helped me get this through like a connection mm-hmm. of hers. And by no means is my mother like. Oprah, anything like that. My mother's has like yeah. a very regular life. Uh, your mother's like okay, like low key your manager, yes. like a momager kind of situation. Oh, yeah. My biggest supporters are my mother yeah. and my that's, grandmother. That's what's up. And I call my mother after, and I'm like, so they offered me the job. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I can't take it though. I'm gonna turn it down. She was like, what? And that, now this amount of money coming out of college is like a substantial amount of money for a yeah. 21, 22 year old. Yeah. And I'm like, I like, think that what the average uh, college graduate right out of college makes like what, like 40, 40 grand or like 50 grand or something like that ballpark. And I graduated the harder recession. I graduated 2008. Yeah. So there was no jobs out there. Yeah. This was an $80,000 job. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to turn it down. She was like, 
why? Mm-hmm. And I was like, because if I take that job, I know I'm going to settle. Yeah. And like, you're going to be, be comfortable. It. I'll become comfortable. I'll never do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I was like, I at least have to try. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized my mother was real because my mother was like, okay. Yeah. And she kind of let me mm-hmm. do that. You know what I mean? Of course, I had to stay at home because I wasn't making no money. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I realized that and I kind of made a conscious decision in my mind to not let money dictate mm-hmm. certain things. Like I, I want to spend a lot of my 20s and as far as like learning and being like learning what I want to do and like being happy with what I do. Because I've seen people, older people like hate their jobs. Like nothing's worse than coming home and hating your job and complaining your job. Mm-hmm. So I've always told myself I never want to hate my job. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I realized the people that hated their jobs, it wasn't just a company or location and stuff like that. They hated their profession. They hated what they do. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I definitely didn't want that. So I made a decision not to do that. So I, I never looked at it as like money. And even up until I left Showtime, mm-hmm. I didn't realize how grossly underpaid I was there. Mm-hmm. Because I wasn't thinking about it that way, you know? Mm-hmm. And the only the main reason that made me want to leave is because it wasn't I wasn't finding joy mm-hmm. in it anymore, you know? Uh so I never looked at it uh, as far as money. Which if I had to say anything about like my career, that's probably been the biggest detriment to myself is that I haven't factored that into my decisions more. Because a lot of people say the opposite, like, oh, I thought about the money too much, you know? Mm-hmm. I think I haven't thought about the money enough in certain mm-hmm. aspects. I always thought of the happiness and the freedom mm-hmm. more than anything i mean fulfillment matters i mean you could i feel like to some degree like if you're if you're making like a absorbent or like you know like a ridiculous amount of money yeah i said absorbent i mean exorbitant amount of money um and you're like miserable then useless yeah it's useless you no know, the money's still very useful it's just you're not happy yeah, it's, it's true. Yeah. Um, Money's mad useful. Mad useful. <laughs> mad useful. You realize that the older mm-hmm. you get. But yeah. in in your 20s, yeah. you eat McDonald's and drink dollar beers. Because you could, I mean, money to some degree offers you the opportunity of, of, of those freedoms. Right. Uh, and I think younger, I didn't necessarily view it that way. I just, yeah. just feel like I'm 24. For forever, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, to circle back to Showtime, mm-hmm. so I kind of became a PA that can kind of do all that stuff. It's a twenty-four month contract uh-huh. at Showtime, and I'll never forget overhearing the creative director tell the producer, the same producer that was always an asshole to him. He was like, "Yo, we should start taking Darnell on the road more to like learn stuff." You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Learn different stuff. He goes, why we do that? He won't be here in six months. Yeah. And I like overheard this. Mm-hmm. And at first it was like, I was hurt because I'm like, I'm doing a good job. You know what I mean? But I, I took it as a challenge, kind of like, I'm going to prove them wrong. Yeah. So the bad associate producer ends up leaving. He leaves. He goes on his way. Um, I eventually get promoted into his job. Yeah. But at first, of course, the first day extended me as a PA. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I was like, Whatever. Because I'm still not viewing it from the way I should be, which is money. Because I also know that as a PA, nobody hires an associate, a production assistant to be an associate producer. Mm-hmm. You know, like you hire PAs to be PAs. Like mm-hmm. you have to kind of get promoted and then 
uh, kind of move on. So it just so happens to be the perfect time because that's when Mayweather signs with Showtime. Mm-hmm. So now the work goes and explodes. Mm-hmm. Tons of I remember that being a big deal. Tons of opportunity, tons of so I start to get to do a bunch of stuff. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? There were I remember there was one point uh, there was a commercial that he put out. I want to say it was sort of Robert Guerrero fight, mm-hmm. and it's funny the the asshole producer. Mm-hmm. I, I call him the the deadbeat uh, dad of promos because he would yeah. start them because he hated doing them. Mm-hmm. He would start them and then kind of just abandon them. So I'm like there fixing uh, this commercial that's going up in like Times Square and all kind of stuff like that, and in Vegas. So I'm there and I'm literally fixing it. And there's like Mayweather's manager, like Leonard Ellaby, and like Mayweather, like standing over my shoulder as I'm doing this. And I'm like, only if they know, like I'm an associate producer making like fifty something thousand dollars a year, yeah. like. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but that was an opportunity, you know, like you kind of mm-hmm. learn how to do stuff like that. And then it kind of expanded into, oh, you could have finessed your way onto the money team. Yeah. I mean, it's just not the lifestyle for me. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> cool. Um, Floyd's been, he's always, he's, I think Floyd gets a bad rap at times. Yeah. But I, cause I think. I spent a lot of time in Vegas. I hear a lot of good things about him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think because people only know what they see on TV and it's reported. Yeah, I don't think Floyd's a a bad guy at all. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I started to get to come up with ideas, like other stuff like that, because there's just so much a need for so much content centered around like Floyd. And mm-hmm. then it was traveling to Vegas for the fights and working on the show, all accident. It was like so much, and I was like having time in my life, mm-hmm. getting a chance to do all these things. Don't get me wrong; it was a lot of Late nights, I spent weeks on the road, two weeks straight. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I remember once being in Vegas. I had flown. I did like a a shoot in LA. There was like a fight. Mm-hmm. And then I went from there to straight to Vegas. And then like an event was supposed to happen on like the Tuesday and it got pushed back to like Wednesday or Thursday. And I remember thinking to myself, I was like, you haven't actually spoken to another human in person mm-hmm. in like three, four days. But I was so like into like work and like that I didn't even realize um we ended up winning two Emmys at Showtime they won way more mm-hmm. uh, after I left the first one was Mayweather versus what's it Mayweather versus Canelo I think it was Mayweather versus Canelo mm-hmm. with the first one like outstanding edit docuseries or something like that and then uh the second one was Mayweather versus Birdo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was cool. And then I realized that didn't, like, people think, like, there's this fulfillment there. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel that fulfillment, I think, because I knew I was part of such, like, a bigger team. And I, I always felt like, yeah, I aided. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I helped in the ways that I helped and mm-hmm. shot what I shot and, like, you know, this mm-hmm. stuff like that. But I was like, it was such a good team mm-hmm. that I was like, they probably win without me you know Doesn't but i mean like you I know keep, when you see my emmy it's like don't to the side kind of like dust on but when side. like you know the like an nba team wins a ring everybody, everybody gets it gets a ring yeah it doesn't mean you deserve it any less right you know what i mean i know it, it was just one of those things where i was just like all right and then i start to like floyd was getting ready to retire and stuff mm-hmm. like that and i start to ask myself like all right well what are you going to do mm-hmm. next and my thing was i loved uh 
going on the road and like doing like the feature stories and like docu style stuff with like the subjects, the fighters, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. All the stuff like that. You find out about like their family life, like what motivates them and you know, mm-hmm. see them train. That was my kind of thing. Uh, and then he decided they were going to like separate the departments. Mm-hmm. Um, and I asked like everyone in power, like, yo, I want to stay in the feature department. I don't want to go do the promos. Mm-hmm. Of course, they moved to the promo department. Mm-hmm. Tried everything. Because at this point, though, they sort of see you as like the promo guy. You've been so useful. In um, I definitely, I was able to do both, but I I deviated from when I started doing promos mm-hmm. to like going on the road shoot and stuff like that. Because yeah. the benefit that I had is a lot of the fighters related to me. And so, I mean, it's funny because a lot of times they would see me in the gym. And it's so, if you know me, it's so like yeah. far from the truth. They're like, you're a fighter? And I'm mm-hmm. like. I haven't thrown a punch in yeah. <laughs> since high school. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm a fighter. Uh, but they saw another young black guy. Okay, I get you. So they were always cool with me, you know? Mm-hmm. A lot of times it, w- it would take uh, somebody in the PR department has to reach out to this person. And I was just like, I'll just text them or mm-hmm. call, you know? Mm-hmm. I started to develop a relationship uh, with the fighters. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times I'd go on the road and I'd come back with the best content mm-hmm. because of that. So I started to do more features and other stuff like that. And that's what I was enjoying. I was enjoying being on the road, traveling, you know? Promos kind of became like you sit at the desk, you make the promo kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, So like I spent at this point like two or three years maybe doing like features mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So then he moved me to the promo department. I'm like, I don't really want to do it. But I still tried my, mm-hmm. my best. And then I like – this is when I, I – kind of realize the lack of power you have when you work for a company. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, you you guys are literally forcing me to do something I, I don't want to. You know what I mean? I asked about it. That is generally how jobs work. That's how they, yeah. they work. Um, And I had a new supervisor at the time. Uh, <laughs> and me and this supervisor, we just couldn't. Yeah. Very different people that's like a really funny way to look at like your situation because if you like apply to anything else like imagine like a server at denny's like you guys are really making me (laughs) do something i don't want to do right i don't want to serve people and it's funny because i realized i'm how different i am Mm. oh and how i changed from when i first started my career yeah because i wasn't that you know what i mean i wasn't Mm. the person that you're like all right i should do this. Or I have to do this because of it, mm. you know? Mm. Um, and I realized my mindset and I realized that that's probably going to handicap me in my career growth mm. because a lot of people kind of uh, advance by pleasing and you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I'm more of like the friction, like, but why are we doing this? Like, let's, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? That, and I and I don't mean it in, in like a bad way. It's just a challenge. Like let's do this the best possible way. But you yeah. kind of just want stuff done. Like I just want to do it this way. Go home, collect my check, and yeah. I'm done. And I was never that way because again, I'm not operating mm-hmm. for the money at the time. Um, but I get a new supervisor, and I'm still like, all right, I'll try my best, and I'm stuff. And then I kind of realized that this supervisor definitely, it was past, uh, professional. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, no matter how good I am. He doesn't like me, mm-hmm. you know, um, and whether that's and I think it was was a racial thing, mm-hmm. you know. I don't ever want to just like tag and that's like mm-hmm. 
a racist, but I, mm. I realized how he treated me and like some other, you know what I mean? I was mm-hmm. like, there's something there. And I was just like, probably time that I get mm-hmm. a new job and like mm-hmm. move on. Uh, so I ended up searching around and stuff. End up at a new job unannounced. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and I there, and it was kind of like a smaller production operation. It's not a network mm-hmm. or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But again, I got to do like a bunch of creative stuff, be all over it. It's a big company, but like the yeah. production department is, is is pretty small. Yeah, a lot of it is agency driven and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, and then this is two years before COVID happens mm-hmm. or whatever. Meet a bunch of awesome people there that like, like myself, you know, and make make some great friends and everything. Uh, and again, I got to the point where I was like traveling and doing things I want and shoots and you know mm-hmm. and COVID kind of shuts that all down and I'm like oh, well, I kind of need a new challenge you know mm-hmm. and then at this point Pop uh, had asked me a few times Pop Asquist the- yeah, yeah Pop Asquist yeah. asked me a few times it had to be at least four or five months mm-hmm. yo what's up we should do a podcast what's up we should do a podcast and at first I was like you want to do a podcast like you want me to like produce the podcast like you know mm-hmm. and at first i was like I, I ain't really got time to sit and produce a podcast you know mm-hmm. um and he kept asking he was like persistent and he's like no i want you to be on the podcast yeah and i was like because you guys seem to have like when i met you guys you seem to have like already this like really cool oh, yeah. rapport and everything well from the time we met we've been yeah. cool like that um and i was like all right like if you you know like mm-hmm. sure what else i gotta do like it's COVID. I can't mm. travel for work. You know what I mean? So I'm here. Um, so then I started doing the podcast. And like more and more, I started to like love it. And I was like, all right. And it was never something that I like planned in my mind or like this is part of, you know? Yeah. But one thing that I started to embrace and I started to look at it in terms of like if I was an athlete, if I was in the NBA, the NFL, anywhere else, right? Um NHL anything. I'd be coming towards like the end of my career. Mm-hmm. Right? And I was like, well, you've done video production and stuff like that for 14, 15 years now, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, there's absolutely nothing wrong with trying to do other things. And you know what I mean? And evolving. And I think for a long time in my mind, I kind of pigeonholed myself into like, oh, this is what you do. And you have to, you know? Yeah. And I started to realize like, that's just a facet. You can have many different mm-hmm. careers and many different things. Uh, and it's kind of giving me like this new like drive and this new vibe yeah. to try a bunch of yeah. different stuff. I mean, I, I I try to juggle things and I I know guys who, um, it's funny, I had a conversation with a friend of mine yesterday and we were just the, the circle of guys that I wouldn't necessarily say we're all friends, but like colleagues and we kind of mm-hmm. like peers and we all hang out and I'm, I sometimes feel like the outlier because I'm not the guy trying to build a startup and cater to VCs and stuff. Cause right. I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I'd like that. Right. So I'm just do whatever and see how it works out. So, I mean, even now, like I'm like, like behind this conversation, like I'm thinking about like a real estate call I just got and it was just, like pretty, <laughs> pretty upsetting. <laughs> um, but. I remember when I met Pop 
And like, you know, when when he FaceTimed you, I I always wanted to like sort of produce a, a podcast because up to that point when I originally um a lot of the stuff, I wouldn't even call it a career. I just like do stuff. It yeah. feels like um I I feel more comfortable playing the background mm-hmm. and kind of just producing stuff and like putting stuff together or financing or figuring stuff out. Like I like figuring out logistics, yeah. like something that's not there. And then all of a sudden it's there. Like if you think about the pod and the way it evolved, we kind of just made it from scratch. It was like, yeah, yeah I like stuff like that. So um I had a blog that kind of randomly, I don't want to say took off, but got some interest. And I kept trying to find people to do the interviews and to host the reviews and do stuff like that. But no one was really consistent or like I always ended up just doing it myself, which is how. Yeah. And that kind of like in my mindset, Mm -hmm. that's why like I know it's never really a money thing. People mm-hmm. have to genuinely want to do things, yeah, for them, especially for them to be good at it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that that's like my approach to so much stuff. Like, I won't do something if I just like, no, I probably won't enjoy that. I won't do. That. I probably miss out on tons and tons of money. I'm just like, oh, I want to do it. like mm-hmm. real estate, for example. Yeah, right. Everybody says invest in real estate, this and that. And I'm it's just not, pretty stressful. No, I I love there. it. It's like an enjoyable thing for me, but it's like it's it's stressful as as fuck. Yeah, yeah. I burnt like obscene amounts of cash, like just figuring certain things out. It's not good. But I also think that me with that mindset at times, I don't try things. But I'm like, I, I don't know, I want to enjoy that, so I don't try it. Whereas, like, yeah. for example, podcasts, mm-hmm. I had no idea I would enjoy doing that so much. Mm-hmm. And people, so many times in my life. Even some of the, the fighters that, like, mm-hmm. I yeah. worked with and stuff like that. People are like, you ever tried being in front of the camera? Mm-hmm. Like, no, I won't be in front of the You know? And in my mm-hmm. mind, I was like, why are they telling me I should be in front of Just because I look young? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Because especially then, I looked super young. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, why are they telling me to be in front of the camera? Like, I never. I mean, it's possible they saw something you didn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're not. Because pop saw yeah. something I didn't. You know? Because to me, I thought I, I didn't think. I think I can hold a conversation yeah. with someone. I don't think I'm. Which is generally like a prerequisite for <laughs> yeah. a podcast. Yeah, I don't. I didn't think I was like wildly entertaining when no. people want to watch. And then it's interesting because recently when Pop was out mm-hmm. for three like, weeks, it was like yeah, it was, three weeks, yeah. Um, he had COVID. It was interesting because I, I not just that people still watched us, mm-hmm. right? Granted, it was less people than that watched them pop yeah. as there should be. Yeah. But then the comments and other stuff like that, I said, oh, people genuinely enjoy, Yeah, you know, you and I, you know? Mm-hmm. I was like, look at that. I never thought that I was worth watching in that sense. Uh, I thought I could create content that was worth watching. I think mm-hmm. me being the content was, yeah, it was interesting. It's funny. I don't know if I ever even said this to you. Like, I thought about quitting the podcast like mad times. Really? Because I'm like just super uncomfortable with like, I mean, I was in the background. He could tell, like, I thought about quitting like mad times. I'm uncomfortable with like attention. Yeah. To a certain degree. Like, like my background being in tech, you could be well known in tech and still be unknown. Yeah. Like there are people 
right now, as crazy as it sounds to me or you, that who who don't know who Elon Musk is, he could walk down. Oh yeah, I feel like Elon Musk could walk through downtown and not really be stopped once. Yeah type of thing so you could be relatively well known in tech like i'll go to like ces or i'll go to like whatever conference and people will be like oh yeah like and then i'm comfortable with that but that's because i know this pr person that almost like a um and i wouldn't even just say tech one of the reasons i really liked um and i always fucked with like uh dame dash or biggs was they created a lane in hip-hop that you don't have to be a rapper, you don't have to be this yeah. to kind of be in the culture. I always sort of related more to guys like that. Mm-hmm. And then Biggs will play. There are people to this day who don't know who who Biggs, Biggs is. Biggs will walk down the street right now. Like, you know. yeah. yeah. So I always liked that sort of thing more so than being the 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 talent. Yeah, that's kind of like yeah. I was saying. Like you put yourself in that. Yeah. Kind of because you never viewed yourself. Yeah, as talent, right? Mm. And even when we started the podcast, the the plan wasn't for you to be not at all on the podcast at all. And then me and Pop, we were just like, Reg is wildly like entertaining and funny. Yeah, I don't right? know how how, we, how to take that at all. And we, <laughs> we I remember there was whenever I was like, you're right, just sit on the couch, just sit with us. Um, and Pop and I have had conversations separately, mm. and Pop has even said, said, I think Reg is mad funny. Those are mm. his actual like, yeah. And it's funny because you don't even realize at times mm-hmm. how funny you are. And like with the skits, like I even, I told, I don't know if I told you this, but I told mm-hmm. Pop that. I was like, I'm kind of like enviously jealous that it's so easy for you to get laughs. All right. For me, it's not that. Like, I'm but like I don't work. But I think, I think it's because you actually want the laughs. What do you mean? I, I feel like it's almost like a serendipitous kind of thing. I'm not looking for it. Right. It's more like I almost like there's a there's a level of discomfort, which I think people like lock on to. Yeah. So I remember when I initially did the um, I initially did the we were doing the pod. We we're sitting in here and like I'm col- I, I collect like all the like all the pictures and the old videos. I still have all that shit. Yeah. And um, pop was like recording me secretly. Mm-hmm. Right, and I didn't catch on, and he did me the one favor because I don't know how you didn't catch on. He did it every week. I was like, I he's gonna do it again. No, to you. But when he, when I first met Pop, like the day I met him, we were all hanging out. It was me, him, and um, DK, and yeah. he was in here. We were having a a wild conversation. I'm not even gonna get into that with you. Uh-huh. And he he was recording me, and I was like, he did me the favor of deleting it, maybe because he just met me. But I was like, nah, you can't put that out. Fast forward, he did like. The, the mustache thing, like when yeah. he made the mustache is wild, powerful or whatever comment. Yeah. And then mad people started hitting me up. There was like a discomfort there because I was just like, but I was just hanging out. Like, I feel like when, when I do like a podcast like this or whatever, I have a little bit more control over what's going out yeah. versus when you do the other podcast or you're just doing whatever content. It's like, there's there's no control. It's just like yeah, just like whatever. Uh, um, I wasn't a big fan of it originally, and to be honest, I would do the pod for free, whatever, even if no one saw it. Yeah, I'd almost be more comfortable if like there were only like ten people watching it or something. <laughs> but I think what we have the the benefit of, mm-hmm. and not that our podcast is like just ginormous, you know. Yeah. But 
there's still places you we can go places that nobody knows. I think it would always be that way because I don't think our podcast caters towards mm-hmm. everyone. You know, uh, like I'm sure there's certain suburbs I can I'll walk through. You know, yeah. really fine. But if I go to a certain part of Newark or a certain part of Jamaica Queens, or, you know, yeah. somebody may be like, I know you. That being said, I mean, I sure I could walk through like Abu Dhabi or like whatever random place on earth and you'd be fine. But am I going to be there? If if the one place you spend the majority of your time and it's like, I remember I was in Walgreens and the guy was like, oh, snap, you're in Walgreens. I'm like, <laughs> do you think I just sit on the couch every like whatever day and wait to be recorded? Like, you, I don't leave. You only exist yeah. from yeah, it seven doesn't, to yeah. the show ends. Um, it's funny because I, I realize I don't get. I get why people think that way, though, because. um. The dude from Brooklyn Nine Nine, he's always like the just like just mad like miscellaneous black guys like in movies, yeah. That you don't really know their names. Like uh, the dude, he plays the chief in Brooklyn Nine Nine. He actually doesn't live too far from here. Oh. And like I, when I worked at Best Buy, he would come in there like all the time. Yeah. And I remember the first time he came in, it was too long after I think that movie Poseidon came out, and he was in that. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, snap, it's it's you. And yeah. he was like, yeah, I live up the street. <laughs> yeah, human. And it's just like, and like, he was just like, yeah, I was looking for some headphones. And I was just like, you use headphones? You know what <laughs> I mean? It's like, so, I mean, I get it. Um, it's funny. I was um, with a friend mm-hmm. the other day, and she's married to a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And then she told me, I've been meaning to tell you, she goes, at my wedding, mm-hmm. My cousin walked up to me and was like, where do I know that guy from? Mm-hmm. Where do I know him from? And then I guess she realized later, she mm-hmm. was, oh, I know him. He does the, the, this podcast mm-hmm. that I watch with Pop Vasquez. Mm-hmm. She was like, oh, yeah, you want to meet him? This time? She goes, oh, no, 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 don't tell him. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because I realize now when I walk into certain places that I'll get a look. Yeah. And the look isn't. Like looks I got before, so kind of look like yeah. I know you, and then I kind of process like, do I know this person too? And I'm like, uh, I don't yeah, think I know it's this wild and comfortable. Because before, like, I used to get looks, and I'm, it was easy because I'd see people look at me and then they look at my sneakers and like, you're in the sneakers, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, but now it's start to be a look that's like, yeah, I like, know you from somewhere, yeah, or you're is still that looking, him? Or... And it's just like you yeah. know, I don't think. People kind of have uh, the courage, or I'm not worth walking up to yet. How you, or like people just respect your privacy because, like, I mean, there are times where I'll I'll see random people again. I don't know any of these people' names. I remember um, working at Best Buy, I bumped into like mad, I guess, celebrities. I don't know if you'd call that. Like, yeah. I remember, um, uh, I forget this guy's name, but he was like a wrestler and he came in to Best Buy one day. I guess they were in town and he just wanted to grab some stuff and I, I helped him out and I never mentioned like wrestling once, which I feel like bothered him a little bit. Speaking of wrestling, mm-hmm. super random story. So, uh, 2K does the WWE game. Yeah. WWE 2K. Right? They're not a sponsor or anything like that, right? Mm-hmm. Are they? Not. 2K? Yeah. No, I okay. have no connection to them whatsoever. So, they posted a picture of the NWO. It mm-hmm. was Scott Hall, Steve Nash, Hulk Hogan, mm-hmm. and X-Pac. Mm-hmm. And the caption was, I'm going to tell my kids this was a Brooklyn Nets. Mm-hmm. So I write in the, in the comments, I'm going to tell my kids Hulk Hogan hates black people. 
They took the post down. The post was gone. <laughs> what? So the 2K team took it down? Yeah. Post is gone now. Why not just delete the comment? I don't know. I don't know if I started like a bunch of other comments or whatever happened. Oh, yeah. And they were like, oh, this is spinning out of control. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I mean, like, I meant. Audacity. I've been to like uh, some of the 2K events, but like the basketball ones, and like I've those. met um, like Ronnie, and though they're mad fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, I met Ronnie like a handful of times, but um, yeah, I don't really have any connection to that. I got a good. That's laugh. hilarious. I got a good laugh out of that. I was like, if it was Scott Hall and Hulk Hogan was on the cover. No, it was just a picture. Of, so it's not even on the cover of the game. It's just a picture of them because I think the game is like. Oh, so he was in the picture though. Yeah. Oh, okay. And I was just like, nah. Not the Brooklyn yeah. Nets. Yeah. Yeah. Can't, That's can't be the Brooklyn hilarious. Nets. <laughs> Get them out of New York. I mean, like, as far as social media concerned, it's just like, it's such a weird thing. Because, like, I mean, if if you're looking at the, I guess, the whole timeline of human history, there's nothing that you could really, like, compare that to. And um, I was listening to an interview uh, from a couple of, like, this is like a wild like tangent we're going down or whatever, yeah. but um, I thought it was like interesting. Um, there were like comedians who are like not really quitting comedy, but like transitioning out because of social media. Yeah, I can see that because mm. because like people like you, terrorists like you, like in the comments, like basically scaring them off. Yeah, but you know, Steve Harvey recently said he's never doing another stand-up special. I don't know if you saw that. Why would he? I don't think he should. No, he said because of like he has, I guess, so much to lose at this point. Yeah. Um, it, mm. I think stand-up comedy is in an interesting place, mm-hmm. and I kind of feel like the door is getting shut on newer comedians mm-hmm. because they don't have the the privilege and the equity in the game that the older comedians have, or the older comedians can disappear. Ever and come back, come out and do a stand up special, mm. and it makes news and lasts forever, you know. Mm. I think things move so fast now that the newer comedian you can come out and have a stand up special. I think kinda- older comedians would disagree with you because the older comedians are actually a little I don't want to say jealous, but they they don't like that you know that the newer comedians didn't really have to. Spend years like a, a comedian would be like, yo, I spent like a decade like, traveling, yeah, yeah. like traveling, like building up, like, you know, doing like all these like shitty small towns and so on and so forth. And some Internet comedian just jumped on and recycled like mm-hmm. somebody's jokes and is now. I don't know if you remember that dude who was like recycling Patrice O'Neill's jokes until someone called him out. <laughs> I forget this guy's name, but he literally verbatim were just using Patrice O'Neill's jokes. And this yeah. was like not too long after Patrice died. That's and because wild. no one was like familiar with him, he like he was getting him. laughs. Yeah. Um, but the benefit that the older comedians have mm. is that they don't have the same thing to live up to. They can kind of just like, all right, I'm not performing for a year. Whereas if a new yeah. comedian does that, he's forgotten about it already. It depends on the old comedian. You're you're characterizing like comedians you know that are like huge. Right. But for every Dave Chappelle, there's like probably like and shout out to him. He just did an interview. He's actually one of my favorite comedians, Tony Woods. There's mm-hmm. probably like thirty Tony, Tony Woods. or a hundred 
Tony Woods for every like one Dave Chappelle. Right. And Tony Woods can't like stop. Like people just now are like kind of keying into him. He did have a comedy special, comedy uh, central special like forever ago. Yeah. But Dave Chappelle shouting him out kind of brought him back to like people's like the forefront. But regardless of social media or not, he probably couldn't stop. Nah, not at all. Yeah. But he's not a. If he found a way to tap into social media, I think he'd probably do better. Oh yeah, like way better. Yeah, and I and I think people have resistance mm-hmm. to change and like technology and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always told myself, even when I was younger, I used to tell my mother that I never want technology to like surpass me. Mm-hmm. Although it was super dumb to say back then because technology has always surpassed it. Yeah, passed me. You know, it's just but I never want to be afraid of it like she used mm-hmm. to do things i was like it's just a control z or whatever mm-hmm. it is it's fine it doesn't yeah. make make a difference nobody dies mm-hmm. um we're like i never want to be somebody that looks down or looks like oh tiktok i don't want to do that you know what i mean it's, mm-hmm. and it's like because these things are things that shape our lives mm-hmm. like i'm sure there was somebody that was like the man at the telegrams and writing them mm-hmm. when a phone came out like, what? I have to hit, you can yeah. hear my voice and I have to dial numbers. There were people like, who thought the internet was a fad. Exactly. You know, so it's like, I don't look down on anything technology-wise because like, it's yeah. going to be the way eventually. And if it's not, yeah. we learned why it didn't work and it's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, everything comes to an end. Yeah. Yeah. I I really don't know where to transition after that. You kind of, <laughs> you, you kind of put a period at the end of that. I guess we could like wrap. Like, how long have we been recording for? Over an hour. Like, I feel like that's decent. We got a pretty good idea of, like, I guess your history and everything. Like, I didn't know any of this about you. Oh, there's so much uh, more about me. I mean, like the, I guess the job history and whatever personal stuff. I mean, I met your family, which is cool. Oh, yeah. Like, which is You're dope because I never. Oh, I mean, you saw that. Like but the, everybody supports you and watches the podcast, so of course they know who I am. Oh yeah. Um, it's weird because like when I went down to Florida, like my cousins watched the pod, which yeah. I was like wild uncomfortable with, uh-huh. because I was just like, my family doesn't really know that aspect of me, and then it's like my little cousins, so I kind of want them to take me a little bit more seriously. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, yeah, you just, you're like a YouTuber or something. I'm like, that's <laughs> definitely not what I do for a living. It was like, oh, yeah, Reg is a YouTuber. I'm like, I'm not. Please stop calling me that. And that's not what I do. It's funny because at first I was nervous mm-hmm. with stuff like that, too. Because I go in there and I tell the mm-hmm. wildest stories and stuff mm-hmm. like that. My parents have nothing. You know what I mean? They didn't handle stories. Like, no. when you guys hear the story for the first time, probably my parents and my family hear the yeah. story for the first time. And the reception that I got back from it was it was cool. Like, I remember... Mm-hmm. There was one episode, and Pop's like, yeah, I think you might have went too far. Like, yeah, I might have been a bit too raunchy, this and that. I remember telling, having this conversation with my mother. Telling, I was like, I actually like those episodes. You talk about this stuff. Well, maybe because it makes her feel like she's getting to know you better or something. Um, I think so. But I think the support that my mother and, like, mm-hmm. my family gives me, mm-hmm. it's... It, I think no matter what I did, mm-hmm. they would, and I and I tell my parents like don't watch the podcast. My <laughs> sister will mention it to them, and I'm like, yeah, don't watch. It's not even worth watching. I think the only person that hasn't watched my podcast, my podcast is my grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I think she may have seen some of it. I think my mother said she chooses like what clips or like you know mm-hmm. what I mean. Uh, 
grandma can watch. But she definitely asked me about it. And I think no matter what, she'd support me. But mm. I don't want to change her view <laughs> yeah. of me. Yeah. But I don't like it's it's funny because so many people, like you said, like it's become like especially since this is out this is, you and I have the have something similar that Pop doesn't have. That this is like our first time being like in front of the camera yeah. tons of people watching you know like eyes on yeah. us um so we have that in common mm-hmm. so i think because i think that was the the initial thing i didn't like too because like i do a lot of like background like corporate stuff like yeah. whether it's like consulting or whatever stuff and i was like i'm gonna as soon as this is done i was gonna um talk to you about something um and my whole thing was like i don't want people to like not take me seriously because it's like oh you're the guy that does the jokes like that you want to run like a campaign like no like why would we you know what i mean like that was like my concern um but i I think when you have a track record and like Mm -hmm. yeah they're gonna be like yeah but i do this you know Mm -hmm. it's the other day i get a message at my actual job so i sent me a message Mm -hmm. like you have a podcast i saw it the other day it's really good and I was mm-hmm. just like, I was taking a bit, because that was the first time uh, someone at work was not like a friend or like, mm-hmm. I know outside of work at all, mentioned it to me. And I was like, interesting, you know, because at first that was such a big thing with me. I was like, oh, like I still have to keep my job and I have to, you know, mm-hmm. this and that. Um, but I think people are intelligent enough to separate the two like that's fun that's games and that's yeah fun. i never think that way i i think stuff. very little of people and the people that can't separate the two yeah probably aren't the people you want to be working with anyways eh, I, I don't know i got the money yeah pretty much yeah, yeah, i got i got bills man i, I go with the peace yeah no nah, i'll i'll take the i'll be wild uncomfortable for like a lot of money no like if it's temporary and I know what the the long game is, because you kind of have to do stuff you don't want to do until you can do the stuff that you do want to do. Oh, definitely. But even in the stuff that you don't want to do, yeah, you can still find enjoyment. And then you got to ask yourself, the stuff that you're doing that mm-hmm. you don't want to do, is yeah. it really getting you to where you... I'm sure there's something else that gets you to the same thing. Oh, I mean, long term, like you have to ask yourself one way or another, is this conducive to like my end goal or whatever yep. it is, wherever it is I want to end up? But I mean, most of the time the answer is yes, because like money, like especially like the way I'm looking, like I don't know if you know who Robert like Reich is or like mm-hmm. you look at the economist. Yeah. Like I'll watch enough of his videos where I'm like, I got to go out and make like more money because- yeah is about to be like some dystopian like you know hellscape yeah and it's like like uh like a a gallon of water is about to be like a thousand dollars and even even if that does happen all right like if you don't like water you're still gonna be unhappy you know like you'll like water you'll need water but like but i mean for the thousand dollar to be alive yeah like and I mean, so just don't be alive. This is a weird thing to say. No, to no, people. no, not don't be alive. Because yeah. I mean, in the end, yeah. none of us are. But <laughs> there we go. That's uh-huh. a good. That's a- <laughs> Funny because you brought up yeah uh, making more money and stuff like that. Yeah. Steve Harvey. Because uh, yeah. I, I follow a ton of those like motivational quotes and stuff like that. Steve Harvey. I mean, um, some of his stuff I I'm like 
So he He's like, You think millionaires sleep? Yeah, I do. I do think they, they get plenty <laughs> of sleep. Like all of them talk about how much sleep they're getting. Right. There's a theatrics. Yeah. Of them. Um and I'm I'm not a huge Steve Harvey fan, like mm. or whatever. I enjoy Steve Harvey, but I'm not like mm. So this is a clip. He's sitting down with uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes. Mm-hmm. And he's saying how he told his kids, oh, don't think I'm leaving all this money for you. I'm not. He said, I ain't worked that hard to give you, I mean, he said, 85% of this money? Mm-hmm. He said, it's going to me and your mother for us to enjoy ourselves and do things. Mm-hmm. He was like, I might leave you 5%, 10%, whatever it is. All right, mm-hmm. Grant, 5%, 10% of Steve Harvey's money. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, and then... Bishop T.D. Jakes was like, a lot of people get confused and they think they have to leave things and money for their children. And he was like, it doesn't mean anything because they can go through those things. They can blow through that. You know what I mean? Not have it. They don't learn anything. I mean, of course, you got to teach them how to. Right. Yeah. He said, it's what you leave in your children. Mm. Um, That's really the impact. And I think that's one thing that I picked up. Like, I didn't grew up rich. You know what I mean? Like I mm-hmm. had a, I went to private school and stuff like that. But I was far from rich. Like my mother mm-hmm. worked hard, you know? Yeah. And unless she had like a crazy stash of money or something hidden somewhere but I don't know about. Um, I, I disagree with that statement because like a lot of celebrities say it and stuff. And I actually spoke to um a couple of people that I know like who have like really like like the rich people I know who are like like, dude, what was the point of me accumulating all of this? If not to leave to my children right. and then my children's like, what's the point of it's almost this like this thing we do. And I've I've heard a lot of like African-American like celebrities say it. Yeah. It's like you you work so hard to break this whole generational curse of poverty or whatever. Why would you keep it going? Why would you try to keep it going? As smart right. as your kids could be, though, luck is still a factor. Financing is still a, like yeah. there are a lot of smart, hardworking people who don't have any money. Yeah. And by no means, I don't think the... I think people just say that shit. I, I think he's going to leave his first kids. Like, yeah. You shouldn't leave money for your kids. It's more what Bishop T.D. Jake said. It's what you leave in them that really makes difference. 110%. Um, but I mean, after a while, it, it doesn't... Because you could teach your kids everything and then they could... That, that lesson could skip a generation. I think there are certain things that are just innate in people. If you look at the yeah. The Waltons. They're so rich, it's sort of like you can't really fuck it up. They're so rich where it's even if one of them has a bad habit or like you look at the Disney family, they they still own like a very oh, small yeah. percent. Like the, yeah. the nieces and the nephews and the cousins, they're all like rich. I think it, I could be wrong, but I feel like this is the, the guy who, what's the guy who wrote Rich Dad Poor Dad? Um, yeah, um, Robert something. Huh? Robert yeah, Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah, I feel like this. He said this. He said you can have somebody that's really smart, mm-hmm. right, and a really good person born into a poor family, mm-hmm. and they'll still end up poor. Yeah, right. You can have somebody really dumb and a bad person. I actually saw the clip well, you're talking about. Yeah. And you can born in a <laughs> rich yeah. family, it's still going to end up rich somehow. Like they can't. It's hard There's to get sub subconscious habits that they have, and so on and right. so forth, that they just learn being like. Yeah. But I, I do think it's something that's like, which instill in certain people, like. Of course. Uh, my but mother's I, definitely still like this generosity and like helping people and looking out for people kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And me, and then I've also learned uh, the importance of liking what you do. Because mm-hmm. I watched my mother hate what she did yeah. for a long time. This this may be super dark. Uh, my mother hated her job for a long time. Like she mm-hmm. didn't have any emotional 
tied to it. Mm-hmm. She just went, did her job, got paid, you know, mm-hmm. came home, come home, complain about the job, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Standard American yeah, shit. That's a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I don't think anyone really, I think it's maybe a newer generational thing where people feel like you have to find fulfillment in what you do because normally just people hate their jobs. It is. And I remember my mother, like, it got to the point where, like, recession hits and, like, they outsourced the job. You know, mm-hmm. like, they want her to relocate. She would never relocate. She was like, no, mm-hmm. I'm, like, I'm staying here. You know, like, this is where, mm-hmm. like, I've been my life. Temp here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And when, at the time, I want to say she was in her 50s. Mm-hmm. Maybe she's still in her 50s, but probably, like, late 40s, early 50s kind mm-hmm. of thing. Hard to kind of transition in because you're making a certain set of money. You demand a certain set of money. And there's another kid who just came out. Yeah. Demand significantly less. Yeah. We'll give it to the kid who demands significantly less. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a hard career time for her. And then she like did something different where she started, uh, she became a, a TA, mm-hmm. a teacher assistant. She said, You know, I'm making the less, the least money I've made in a long time. Like the, mm-hmm. I haven't made this low of money since like mm-hmm. forever. She goes, Well, for some reason, I feel like I have so much money and I'm so happy. Right? It's because mm-hmm. she genuinely enjoys. Like, I've asked her, mm-hmm. like, you, you like being around, like, the kids and stuff. Like, she genuinely mm-hmm. does that and enjoy that. And then I asked her, I was like, like, what did you want to be, like, growing up and stuff like that? She goes, nothing. It was just get a job. Mm-hmm. And she's like, so that's what I did. I never mm-hmm. even took time to sit and think what mm-hmm. I wanted to do. I just thought about get yeah. a job and make money. Um, Fulfillment was never a thing. My, like, when my parents, they're, like, Haitian immigrants or whatever. Mm-hmm. When they came here, the whole thing was get a job that make as much money as possible. It wasn't like a fulfillment thing. It was just like survival. So like growing up, they always pushed me to be like a doctor or a lawyer or something that they perceived as. They weren't really supportive of me being an entrepreneur till they could kind of see so me work. support myself. Then they were like, okay. It's and I I I'm, I know my mother mm-hmm. got that from her parents. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, both the parents are immigrants, came from mm-hmm. Jamaica here. Uh, Let me, like, I scratched that. There were times where they did, like, they wanted to be supportive. They didn't get, like, it was almost like an exchange thing. While I was in college, like, my dad, I remember, and it was a lot of money to me at the time, gave me, like, a couple of grand to, like, start this company. But uh, you got as long spoon. as, yeah, but as long <laughs> as, it wasn't a silver spoon thing. It wasn't, like, an easy thing for him to throw out. Yeah. My dad taught me, like, a lot. Um, but it was sort of like, well, like you're going to college, like this is something I need you to finish. But if you feel like you could do this simultaneously, I'll, I'll give you a shot. And I don't know if he gave me the money more so to kind of like, if I failed, I would just get it out my system so I could just yeah. focus on school. But like that didn't really work. What's funny. Cause uh, it still failed, but yeah. Uh, one of my biggest regrets, um, there was me and two friends at the time in mm-hmm. high school. They had worked at like uh, this icy smoothie kind of place in the mall. Mm-hmm. And then one day we were just talking about, we should open one of our own. Mm-hmm. Figure it out. And then I remember calling like the mall and figuring out how much it is to run a kiosk mm-hmm. and do all this stuff. Uh, and two of us were like really down to do it. And like my mother was like, yeah, like, how we, like we'll figure it out. I'll get you, you know, mm-hmm. some stuff. And like, the third friend found so many reasons why it wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. And kind of like crushed the idea. Like it mm-hmm. went down. I looked back and I was like, 
if I would have did that, even even if we went wrong, the high mm-hmm. probability of going wrong or failing, mm-hmm. I would have learned so much from that. Yeah. It would have been a great experience. Um, but like you said, your dad taught you so much stuff. The thing that I picked up from my parents was work ethic, mm-hmm. right? They always work. They always, you know, mm-hmm. the work ethic part. They never kind of taught me about the fulfillment or finding what you want to do kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure where I really picked that up from. I think mm-hmm. I just kind of saw like how unfulfilled they were with their jobs. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want that. And I don't know where our mother got got it in her to support me mm-hmm. doing that. Because I could have chose a different career or done something else and yeah. made way more money, you know? I mean, it, it might have just been her being so, and it might have been the same reason, her being unhappy in her job. She didn't want the same for you, maybe. Yeah. And and she's always, she's told me how proud of she is of me and my brother mm-hmm. because we're a lot like that. Like, we're going to do things that mm-hmm. we want and we're not afraid to try things and do, you know? Mm-hmm. Whereas for her, it was always job security. I hold this job, keep this job for it. 40 years and 401k and pension plan, you know? I was never opposed all the way to a job. I just hated certain corporate structures. So I can see why, like, and not to badmouth them, but yeah. I mean, whatever, um, why certain things weren't working for Best Buy for a really long time or big box stores or whatever, because yeah. they, they kind of fall into this thing. Like the guy who I was in the, I was working like sort of, Geek Squad slash computers and the guy who was like my direct supervisor. Crashed one of those cars. One of the little, little Geek Squad cars. I never got to drive one of you those. Met him, Marcus. Oh really? Um, he was like, I bet I could drift this. <laughs> but why would he try that? That's it. The Geek Squad car is like you can't drift a front wheel drive car. He learned that day. <laughs> wow. Um. Anyway. Uh, why would he try to drift the car? Has he ever drifted any vehicle in his life? I'm not even sure if he has, to be honest. I wouldn't be surprised if he has now, but back then, no. probably not. He has a Corvette. Okay, now. yeah. He's, so, he doesn't drift that, I think. So, it's <laughs> mad random. Um, he does seem like the type, though. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Um, so the guy who was my manager, or the, not my manager, my direct supervisor, because like it's like this weird hierarchy, and um, his background was photography, yeah. and by chance he was our supervisor, and the the biggest thing selling in that department was cameras. no, it was like the computers. Like I think margins on cameras maybe were better or whatever. So his thing was cameras. He was a photographer and everything, but he didn't know anything about computers, and just so happens cameras were in the computer department. But, like, uh, I don't know if people know this, but these big box stores make the majority of their margins on, like, accessories. Mm-hmm. So, when you buy the computer, they technically make more money off of the mouse or the software or the protection plan. Yeah. Mostly the protection plan. So, we were, like, me and this other guy were, like, the biggest salespeople in, in the store. And we knew more about computers. We knew we were more knowledgeable about certain things. But it was more so about him justifying his job than what was more efficient or more productive in terms of like computer stuff. So he would constantly railroad different ideas we had or whatever. Yeah. And it was just like I'm getting to a point where like I I'm tired of working for people who are like dumber than me. Yeah. Oh, uh, and I I don't ever like 
I can't ever bash a nine to five. I have not, but I think yeah. people see it as a forever thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And at one point I did, I think as I evolve and get older, I realized it may not be mm-hmm. a forever thing for me. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Like I'm excited about mm-hmm. um, whatever path I go, you know? So, I, and I think when I change that mindset, mm-hmm. I let go of a lot of expectations mm-hmm. of working for companies and this and that. Like, it's okay. I, I know I do a service. You pay me for the service. Like, it's I not think, really. I think stuff's changing though, because like, uh, originally people were always like well this is the way things have always been done but like now that i like more companies are sort of taking like a sort of startup vibe or approach mm-hmm. to things so they'll have like nap rooms and stuff like that yeah well that's fine and yeah. cool but like at the end i know like my expectations of you should be that of a job and not of a human yeah right and for a while especially i think i was just young and naive mm-hmm I had the expectations that I would have with another person or human like, mm-hmm. oh, no, but I'm doing this and like, this is good. This is helping you what we agreed upon. Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so now I'm telling you something and you should listen back to me. And, fit- and I've realized it's not that. And it doesn't have to be that. It shouldn't mm-hmm. be that. Um, They're paying you. So like. Right. Yeah. And I. But once again, tie back to I'm not ever thinking about it. I was not thinking about it mm-hmm. as the money aspect. I was thinking of it as. Oh, I'm doing something here that is helping you. It's you guys tr- should help me. It's tricky. And to them helping me was give me whatever yeah. finance they would give. Yeah, the the tricky thing is like I I've been on both sides. So like I can I can understand the point of view of someone like financing something and feeling like, no, we need results from this. I hear everything right. you're saying creatively, mm-hmm. but like Yeah. And a lot of times I I don't even think results were ever the mm. issue because I, I I think I've always kind of like driven results and like shown mm. results. I think it's been more of just like somebody's mm. in charge and they just want to do something different, and, mm. you know? Yeah. And even when I'm in charge of things and this and that. That's a big thing, though. Like you have when you have like corporate situations, like you have a ton of people in the middle who have to justify their jobs. Right. And then. You see, it's so funny because I've seen this a few times. Mm-hmm. One person comes in and they're doing things a certain way, and another person comes in and everything mm-hmm. changes. They got to do something, right? Because mm-hmm. they want to, everybody wants to make their stamp and do something their way. And, mm-hmm. and I've never viewed uh, leadership or anything that way. I've always viewed it as like very collaborative. Like we had a conversation the other day uh, when you called me about the metaverse and NFT stuff. Yeah. I said, go ahead, go for it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what we do, it's okay. Nobody gets hurt. Nobody dies if, like, we mm-hmm. mess up or something goes wrong. We just learn from it, do it, you know? I mean, we have the benefit of being here so early on, and, like, the podcast is relatively, like, I mean, we're not making a ton of money doing it, so we can take those chances. But then, like, you imagine, fast forward, like, we're doing deals and so on and so forth. There, There has to be a level of structure after a certain point to an extent but yeah. it's still collaborative it's okay like we're no, not of course we're not doctors like mm. i can't be like no nah, try what you want with his heart yeah. <laughs> you know like it's very different whereas mm. like i always want it to be collaborative and i always want people to feel involved and stuff yeah. because that's when you get the best results like uh let's say instead i came to you and i was like reg mm. i need you to do the metaverse stuff do it this x y and z mm. You just do it, whatever. I want you to B 
be invested in it. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. even with the podcast, I, like I love when people show up and participate because they want to be there, you know? Yeah. That's a, a huge thing because like that's when the best work happens. In the Actually, collective. the benefit of the podcast for me is that I don't have to like I, I don't know. have to think a lot at all, which is We've beautiful. Had that conversation. Because like I have to in every other aspect, I have to like take over stuff like um I have uh, I'm not going to be specific, but I have uh, something I worked on recently and I have like other partners involved and I constantly feel like. I have to do the thinking for everybody around me. Oh, yeah. And it's just like, it's exhausting. Yeah. And it's funny because at times like I feel like that with the podcast. Yeah. Right. I'm like, you got to get everything in this. Mm-hmm. And I, I start to put this pressure on myself because I care about everyone so much now that we've all formed these relationships and these mm-hmm. bonds. Like, I want to make everything win. Like, I have a number in my mind that mm-hmm. I want to hit monthly because mm-hmm. I know that covers bradley's mortgage yeah all right um but i've also started to realize that me doing everything is probably hurting us as much as it's helping us because we we're not moving as fast as we could you know so it's it's getting to a point when it's like a scale thing Mm -hmm. and like all right cool so that's why when you call me about the metaverse thing or Mm -hmm. brandon's creating uh Mm -hmm. crypto art and other stuff like that you know Mm -hmm. or somebody has an idea i'm always with it, like, yeah, I want you guys to want to do more, mm. feel more yeah. into it and, like, whatever weird idea and stuff. Like, let's try it. Um, well, I, I mean, uh, obviously, stuff like bro. that creates, like, this bottleneck. But at the same time, you do want there to be – you don't want to create a bottleneck, but you do want there to be some sort of filter there where it's just like, nah, come on. Like, But I genuinely – I feel too like – Too much freedom is a bad thing. <laughs> I feel like a filter would be created no. naturally. Yeah. Right? Because that's the benefit of what we do in social media and stuff like that. Mm. We create something, we put it out as bad. We're going to know it's bad mm. quick. I mean, I shut down ideas. Like the other venture I was just talking about, I shut down ideas all the time. I'm like, no, that is a horrible idea. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't ever mention that again. <laughs> but I, I want, I, I even yeah. want the bad ideas because I want to mm. try the bad idea. We learn from the bad idea. Because mm-hmm. the next step up from a bad idea is a better idea. Just yeah. kind of keep uh, going that way. So I'm never opposed to it. And I don't think. I know everything, or like, mm. because there's certain things and certain episodes or certain stuff where I'm like, oh, I that's that. all right. That's not a. There's no, know. there's no wrong answer. Almost, especially if you're talking about like the pod, right? But I mean, other things, you know. Yeah, I'm sure that's other things. There's been like learnings, yeah. already. But I think we have the benefit. We don't have that yeah. that much. We don't have like a ton of baggage, so we could kind of, yeah, I man, get it. Yeah, but mm. I, I, I'm all for. All ideas is like bad mm. ideas, good ideas. Because every episode, me and Papa talk like, oh, that was all right. We don't think mm. it's that good. That's okay. Mm. And guarantee, just three or four people, this is your best episode yet in the comments. And I'm just like, I mean, you always find somebody. Right. But I realized at that point that I had to stop thinking from just my mindset and my ideas and everything like that mm. because everything that all my output is generated from my experiences in my life and my view on things, right? Mm. Yours is going to be different. Uh, F's could be different. That, be diff- and it's and that's the good part of it. That's the good part of a team and collaborative because you get all those things. You can reach a whole bunch of different mm. people and come up with ideas. Mm. So now my idea formed with Pop's idea. Now we have an mm. idea that neither one of us would have got to separately. That's a, that's the one thing I'm going to say I learned at Best Buy. And um, 
the, I guess there was one manager, I forget his name, but he called it selling out of my own pocket. Mm-hmm. And he was basically like, you, you got to stop selling out of your pocket just because you wouldn't pay 400 bucks for this. Somebody else will. Doesn't mean no one would like, you got to stop sort of taking you and applying that to like all the customers. Yeah. That's very true. And I, I, it was hard for me to kind of learn that and pick up on that mm. because for a long time I was surrounded by people like myself and to this day mm. I still am. Mm. Uh, but I think part of that was going to certain schools where I was the minority. Like, yeah, if you see my high school picture, they did like this overhead, uh, aerial kind of bird's eye view of like the entire class, high school class. And you can kind of pick the black, like, oh, look at that little black section there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so. It's like, you become, what, you guys were segregated? Like, what, No, we weren't segregated, but most of the black kids kind of hung out together. Like, there were different groups of black kids. But like, you hung out, the black kids kind of tend to hang out with other black kids. And, and then I think in doing that, there was a comfort in the familiarity, mm-hmm. especially like being a teenager at that time. Mm. And then I went from there and I stayed in Queens and went to uh, St. John's uh, uh, University in Queens, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. like a lot of those kids kind of went to St. John's and then you had other kids that went to like another private Catholic school that went to St. John's and kind of, oh, you're like, the, you know, like you kind of mm-hmm. become cool. And I haven't really, you've seen a bunch of my friends, it's really um, close knit group of us and 10 or 12 of us, whatever, but we're all very similar. Yeah. And I always had to mind, I was like, I don't need new friends. I got enough friends, you know? And I realized that I was thinking like all the same, we laugh at the same jokes. We, you know what I mean? We tend to watch the same things and everything. Um, And I realized that's probably was me kind of like boxing my thoughts and ideas and other stuff like that in. Mm. So then when I started to, especially in the, workforce like the older I got and I started to feel like I had less to prove with myself yeah and I got more comfortable with like not having to show like look I'm Darnell I can you know mm-hmm. I can do this and I can do that mm-hmm. kind of thing and I started to hear other people's ideas and other mm-hmm. people's perspectives I was just like oh everybody's not mm-hmm. and everybody doesn't think like me and I don't mean that in a bad way mm-hmm. that's in a good way that can actually aid me and help me kind of so. move along uh, I'll never forget there was a a producer, a creative director, and he had the same because I would always, I would approach every project almost mm-hmm. like it was my last project. Like if I don't get all these ideas out now, I'm never going to get them out kind yeah. of thing. So I would try every technique I had. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And he would tell me, he goes, it's almost like you're editing these videos to show you can edit. Yeah. Right? He said, you don't have to do that. You know, like you can, you got to let things breathe and kind of, um, save certain stuff and other times. And then I'd write these scripts for like the features and the promos and everything mm-hmm. like that. He'd be like, you're trying to fit everything in to show you can do it. Yeah. And he he had this saying, I forgot where what author you took it from. Uh, sometimes you have to kill your babies. Mm-hmm. Right? As much as you love a certain uh, element or line mm-hmm. or whatever you add to it, sometimes you got to let it go. Mm-hmm. And it, for, it's for the better of... Yeah, simple. I think some people struggle with. Yeah, they do, and and I and I realized 
the further I got into my career and the more comfortable I got myself and like mm. knowing I can do something, I didn't feel like I had to prove it to myself or somebody else anymore. Mm. I didn't have to do those things anymore because it was like, mm. doesn't, I don't have to do all the razzle dazzle and other stuff to like show. Mm. It's kind of like when you watch a, an athlete and it's like, mm. or a basketball player, it's like, do mm. the leg, spin moved. And it's mm. like, you could have just dribbled straight to the basket and laid it up. Yeah. You know, like, are you trying to show us you can do that kind of thing? Um, and I think when I realized that, it kind of made things a lot easier easier for me to be collaborative mm-hmm. because I didn't feel I had to show. That it had so to much. be all all you, right? That's dope. Well, I mean, that's a good way to end the the conversation. I appreciate you taking the time to You're to welcome. come out here, especially because I mean that was that was a drive. Like yeah. Loki, I thought you were going to cancel this morning. Nah, right. I can cancel. All right. Um. Yeah, guys, so uh, I appreciate everybody for watching. Tuesday, 7 p.m. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thought? Shout out what you thought, <laughs> Tuesday. Like, don't watch that show. No, I watch that show. Don't, don't watch it. All right. All right. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Catalyst Case. This is Reg, and you're listening to Thought Hack.